those of you who are familiar with Abounding Grace and Pastor Chris Gordon, you'll know that Pastor Chris recently has completed an abridgment or another work to the Heidelberg Catechism. It's called a sexual catechism. It's a look at modern day sexual issues and how scripture responds to it all. Today, we go to Proverbs chapter four and verse 20. We'll also spend time in chapter seven, thinking through sexual sin. Here's Pastor Chris with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. How do you get into the heart of someone who's so deeply rooted in sin? What do we do? Well, Jesus comes to her. She comes to him on the well. His divine appointment was set, and he asks her for a drink. And she, of course, is confused why he would even care. How is it you, a Jew, speak to me as 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 a Samaritan? Jesus, of course, uh, asks her for a drink. She she recognizes she um, he doesn't have the bucket. Notice what he says. Whoever drinks, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Proverbs 4. Ponder your heart. Out of it come the issues of life. You'll have something springing up out of of, unto everlasting life. Jesus is concerned with a woman who is known as somebody who is grossly sexually immoral in the culture. He is concerned that she's not saved. And that she has not had water that is truly satisfying. And that's the great problem here. Everyone by nature is trying to fill their hearts with something to satisfy themselves with something other than Christ. Well, what are some of the most powerful desires that we have? What are some of the most powerful desires that we have? Is it sexual desire? That's the world in which we find ourselves. It's your Sexual desires that must be followed, we're told. Think about that. I have water to give you that you have not known. What are your most powerful desires? What are the desires that lead us captive? Well, it's a post-Freudian culture. Freud said that who you are is really determined by the object of your desires. Okay? He said your sexual desires are the most powerful desires that belong to your inner life. Freud put the individual at the center of all things. It's all about you as the individual and what the inherent, your inherent desires are that makes you who you are. This is what he said to ask the question, who am I and what am I becoming? Well, if sexual desires are the most powerful desires that we have, he says that's the category for understanding you. You see where we got all this nonsense. Everything needs to be evaluated through the fulfilling of your desires. And because of that, the great goal of humanity is happiness, he said. And the channel by which that is achieved 
means that sex is foundational to your happiness. Whatever you choose for yourself. Which I always thought leads to the question, how are we different than animals? We have desires. Certainly our sexual desires. God's given us a place to have them fulfilled in marriage. What does Jesus raise with the woman? Does he see her problem just as she's sexually immoral? Is that what he sees as her problem? Does he see her as somebody who's just breaking the seventh commandment? Out of the blue. Go call your husband to me. That's an interesting thing to say. She says three words back. No husband have I. No husband. What's her problem? Unbridled sexual lust? There's got to be more to it than this. I have no husband. You've well said. You've had no husband. You have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Ever pondered that? You've had a long list of divorces in your life. I mean, by today's standards, this is pretty radical. We've never dealt in the consistory room with somebody who's had five divorces. At least I haven't. You've had five husbands. And now, the one you have is not your husband. means you've given up on marriage, haven't you? And so now you're trying out another woman's husband. Now you're an adulteress, thinking that will satisfy you. Sure, sexual morality characterized her life. But have you noticed what Jesus did? Did you notice? You notice where he was taking her? So you were once this, you practiced this, you believed in this, and now you've moved to this. How's that working? See how you could apply this. You were once heterosexual, weren't you? Now you say you're homosexual. Has that really worked for you? Are you fulfilled? Are you happy? So you were born, um, you were born a woman. And now you've transitioned to become a man. Are you fulfilled? You were born a woman. And now you transitioned to become a man. And you just shot up a school. You see what Satan's doing? Satan's work is to take people in the darkness and progress them into the darkness, into the darkness, further into the darkness until they destroy themselves and others. Adultery was just the broader symptom of the emptiness that characterized her life. Let me say this too. Where there is rampant sexual morality, this is where I think the compassions of Christ do come in. Where there's rampant sexual immorality, I think what you will often see is a past full of a lot of abuse. 
serious abuse. She was abused. That doesn't justify her actions. But you have to see things for what they are. Sexual desire is one of the most powerful desires. You have to look behind it. It's subservient to a greater desire in all of us of something that was lost at the fall. It's a search for happiness. It's a search for identity. It's a search for a personhood. It's a search for a desire to be loved. It's no coincidence that right before this, what did Jesus declare? The most powerful words in the scriptures. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have this life. Well, she needed to be loved. Didn't she? She needed to know love. When Paul addressed sexual morality in the churches, he had no problem saying... I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Everything about that has to do with our union with Him. And this is why He would say, listen, your bodies are not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. A radical statement in a culture, of course, that separated body and spirit, saying your union with Him involves your whole person. This is important, your body. And your soul is important. When you're involved in sexual morality of which everyone is tempted and tried and tested and, 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 and struggles with in these temptations and sometimes fall into. What you have to realize, he said, he says, why you have to fight this is because it's like joining your holy union with Jesus when, with a Corinthian church, he said, with a prostitute. It's no form different with any form of sexual deviance. And so he says, flee sexual immorality. Because you're being remade into the image of Christ. And He gives you true value. He loves you. He cares for you. He bought you. He purchased you. He's not going to lose you. He gives you meaning to your life. He cares for you and He values your life so much He died for you. That has to get into our heads to beat this. Jesus is in the business of giving this powerful living water through the gospel that sets people free. There's countless stories to prove it, where we should all be testimonies of it. I was thinking the other night when Dr. Ferguson prayed, you know, and I think, what is, what is an important answer to all this? When Dr. Ferguson prayed the other night, and when he was preaching on Jesus' prayer, excuse me, that we may be one as the Father is in him and Jesus in him, For what end? Remember what he preached on, that the world would believe that you sent me. Speaking of our union. And the glory which you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I pray that in their unity, glory would rest upon them. And then remember what he did with that? He said, you know, when the church was in Acts, and it was the the, the mission of the church was going out, That glory, the Lord was answering the prayer and the glory was hovering over the church. And remember, what was the response of the culture? No one dared to join them. Counterintuitive. Why? Well, 
Because what they saw was a people united by love. They saw a community and a fellowship that was markedly different. They saw in a distinctive Roman culture of moral bankruptcy, a people who weren't perfect, but lived by repentance. They repented of sins together. They were separate. And Rome could never produce this. (laughs) And they saw that. Well, do you see how important that is for the issue of sexuality in the church? In other words, the very thing we want so badly to accomplish with people on the issue of human sexuality can never be achieved by trying to find some forged middle way in an attempt to help people. Um, The glory is intended to bring a restraining and questioning influence on people. Isn't that what he said? And when the gospel, when the church was going out, the people came to them with questions. A witness marked by love and the conviction that is held and beliefs that were embraced in unity. Now here's the problem. I don't think it's, it's not evident what the problem is in the church today. I was really thankful to see the Christian Reformed Church make a good statement at their last synod. Weren't you? Remember what it said? The CRC voted to affirm that unchastity in the Heidelberg Catechism includes adultery, premarital sex, Extramarital, extramarital sex, polyamory, pornography, and homosexual sex. Here's what very few talked about. As wonderful as that is, that they declared that. Out of the 123, was 123, 53 ministers voted against that. 53. That's not John 17. That's not a witness that the world will say, Wow. Look at the unity and the truth. That's not a witness, you see. Our our brothers and sisters, we have to pray for them. Our brothers and sisters in the PCA are struggling with this terribly right now, with side B Christianity, where they're trying to find, many of them are trying to find a middle way to, to, to say, well, I'm a gay Christian, so long as the desires aren't practiced, so they still will identify with the old nature. And that's caused a huge split in the PCA, huge division in the PCA. You see, that's not witness. (laughs) That's not unity. That's not love. That's division. But I say to us, the URC, the Escondido URC, we can't just be angry about the larger sins of the culture. We have to be united with a clear witness in God's holy standard Christians must be faithful in pursuance of a holy sexuality as part of their witness to the world. And that means that it'd be wrong just to be fixated on the bigger and larger sins of the culture without considering what brought us here to begin with. How did we get here? (laughs) Seems to be an important question. Something went wrong somewhere. God's holy standard of sexuality reaches far deeper into our lives than what is often appreciated And as the line of uh, the culture gets pushed back further and further to the more extreme things, what the church has to go back to is to the most basic of things, beginning with the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And beginning with things like, listen, I know these are really bad sins. We're not worried anymore about premarital sex. 
No, we have to talk to our young people about that. In what ways do we need to demonstrate repentance so that the high standard of moral purity might be demonstrated to a world as a proper creational ethic that's worth going after? The church offers little by way of answer to the world if our own ethic is diluted with compromise. Close with a couple things. The, the, The reality is in the next decade, many people who you come across in your daily life are going to be entrenched in these sins. I'm over at Starbucks the other day, and the man at the counter is telling another gal, yeah, my husband, what do we do when we hear that? Well, you might be disgusted. There's a disgust to sin. But what do we think about the man? I think we have to think of him as Jesus did the woman at the well. He's not just a commodity giving me coffee. He's a person made in the image of God who needs to find life. We should pray for people. There's a silver lining in all this. It's not a happy silver lining, I guess. But in the coming years, the sad consequences of the sexual revolution will be so entirely evident in people's lives that we are going to see in the church surprising opportunities we never thought possible. It's going to be right in our doorstep. Hopes will be dashed. Families will be destroyed. Emptiness will characterize life. This will not fulfill. This will not fulfill. And opportunities will be given to you to set people free with the truth. But you've got to speak the truth in love. You've got to be willing, like Jesus, to tell people the truth. And to recognize no matter what they do to you, we don't fear him who can kill the body. We fear him who can kill the body and soul in hell. If our eyes are open to see the misery around us, then our hearts should be to lead people to the Savior of the world. The gospel of forgiveness remains the great solution to our present darkness. So a few practical things to close We've got issues of, in our culture, incest, molestation, pornography, adultery, premarital sex, homosexuality, transgenderism, all that. I think Rosaria Butterfield's right, expose the lies. She said there's five of them in her recent book. Homosexuality, number one, is a normal sexual variant and that it is a true and immutable category of personhood. That's a lie from the devil. The lie number two. Being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Paganism is kinder than biblical faith. She says, that's a lie. Don't fall into that. Number three, feminism is good for the church and the world. That's a lie. Number four, transgenderism is normal, at least for some people. That's a lie. Number five, modesty is an outdated an unfair social construct, an impediment for a woman that serves patriarchy, that holds women back, and exhibitionism is a much, much better in dress and social media discourse. That should be really evident to us. That's a lie. Number two, we've got to address creation basics. Um, it's not that we need to do anything new, but we need to address what we assume people already know on issues of 
who, how we were made and God's design and creation with a particular aim in view. Number three, we, we can't be boxed in by the culture in fear of addressing these issues. That's one of our great dangers at the moment is just that we zip it up in fear. We have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That takes a lot of wisdom from heaven. Number four, we cannot forget our young people and our young adults. All of you have to invest in them. They need to feel they're a part of the church. It's, it's hard, but they need to know we love them. And I hope sitting here, you all know that we do. Number five, we can never forget the aim. I still go back to John Calvin when he said, Many things are undoubtedly contained in the gospel, but the principal aim that God intends to accomplish in gospel ministry is the forgiveness of sins. So if your son or daughter comes to you, overtaken in pornography and confesses their sins, you throw their arms around, you throw your arms around them. You help them, love them. We're leading them to Christ. Receive forgiveness. Help people with their identity and purpose. Number six. Number seven. I'll just use it because it's so familiar to us. Focus on the family. We've got to get back to the table. We've got to talk to our kids about these things, to our children. We've got to be a family unit. It starts in the family. You know, it's interesting. One of our very seasoned ministers came up to me at the conference and said, much of the breeding ground of abuse happened in very conservative, hard-line families where a lot of this stuff came out later. And that's something we have to, have to take into account. Um, how are we as fathers and mothers demonstrating the love of Christ to our children? We're all failures, I know. But the Lord gives grace, doesn't he? We have to love people, number eight, as Christ did, welling up with compassion. And we have to remember that the battle, ultimately, number nine, is the Lord's and the results are his. That's sort of the run-through of the talk that I gave. And I want to close with this thought. Um, it's been amazing how much rain we've had as of recent, isn't it? Anybody ever thought about that? It's caused problems for farmers, I know. Um, it's pretty remarkable how the Lord does that. That he gives rain all at once like this. And that he can solve a drought very quickly. <laughs> I think it's really remarkable that half the state's drought was just solved. And no newscaster, no meteorologist could predict this. Isn't it been amazing? Haven't you stood back and said, wow, they can't figure this out? Well, the Lord applies it himself. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. The Lord could, if he wants, turn all this on its head tomorrow and it's over. Well, that means we should pray. But if he decides not to, then this is the reality. Establish your hearts. For as you saw the rain come quickly, 
the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Just enough time to leave you with our contact information. We'd love to hear from you. It's always a delight knowing you're being blessed by this radio program. Reach out to us at our website, agradio.org. Questions at agradio.org. If you wish to email us any questions you might have or praise reports, comments about the program, or give us a call, 888-504-8805. By the way, when you visit our website, agradio.org, tons of resource material for you to tap into, as well as links to our other platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Again, all at agradio.org. And that phone number, once again, is 888-504-8805. Looking to write to us? If you're old school, the address for your envelope is Abounding Grace Radio, P.O. Box 732, Linden, Washington. The zip code is 98264. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries. Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.